it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. On this episode of the show, we welcomed uh, Jeremiah Fox. Uh, we spoke about um, his transition uh, from doing two degrees in music uh, to running a thriving business um, in a pandemic. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to uh, another episode of the Tea with Mike show. Uh, always excited um, to be having a conversation with someone new or somebody that I've begun to know largely uh, through social media. Uh, so really excited today to uh, talking to uh, Jeremiah. Uh, welcome to Tea with Mike, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So obviously welcome to the show. And then so let's start with, um, I believe you're from uh, Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there? Yeah, Nashville in the, the 70s and 80s was like not the same as it is now. It was kind of sleepy, just nothing but country music. Um, you know, it's always been kind of a, a major hub for recording and technology, uh, but there wasn't the draw to it back then that there is now. It was pretty seedy, like, uh, you know, Lower Broad was kind of a funky place. It's not, not, you know, there weren't like craft distilleries and all the fancy stuff there is now. Um, at the time, the Grand Old Opry was was right in town, which was really cool because you would see people like Conway Twitty and Dolly Parton, you know, they were just like normal people kind of walking around. Um, but just like classic, man, baseball games and bubble gum and, you know, soda and bad pizza. <laughs> <laughs> You know, which is why I left and <laughs> moved to New York. Had to get that good pizza. Nice. So, 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 so are there any standout moments from uh, your childhood and growing up in, in Nashville? Is it a good place to, uh, to grow up? Yeah, I mean, it was for me. Um, it, it was it just, it was the only, the only sense of like normalcy. Yeah, I guess you could say when I was 10 years old and after that it was just like a tornado um, and nothing seemed normal. My parents split up and, and so for the, for me it was this idyllic nostalgia that I've kind of always chased after in my life and now that I'm a father like wanting to provide that kind of uh, that kind of feeling for my kids um, for, for how they're, they've grown up. Uh, I think I think I've done a good job of that, but um, yeah, it was it just represented like all things kind of like stable and good and pure. Maybe it was like the time in my life, and maybe I think it was also the time in history that was like you know the age of Aquarius and like you know my parents kind of had this like hippie vibe going on, and especially my dad. Um, yeah, it just kind of like represented all things good. I mean, you know the rolling hills outside of Nashville. Bill and like the uh, arts and stuff going where it was like 1980 or 81. Like, I'll just never forget that. I was just a little kid, but it was just the most impressive thing, you know. I have a little memory of that, but that's that's a standout in the world's awesome, man. And then, so what were some of your favorite subjects in school? Uh, <laughs> uh, in between classes. <laughs> I was not very studious. Um, 
In fact, I dropped out of two different high schools. Uh, eventually got my GD, uh, sat for the SATs, called off the street you know, at 20 years old, and somehow ended up getting into a four-year university. And I now have a master's degree in music performance. So uh, not the academic type. Um, I, you know, I didn't even enjoy music in school because it was like marching band and it kind of sucked. I did. I, if I had a good math teacher, I would totally get down on that. Um, if I had a bad math teacher, I would just sucks. Uh, but it always got me super excited. And I think more, mostly because I could just read about it and learn about it on my own. It didn't have to be spoon fed to me. And I could kind of like get in a groove of things and say like, well, that's what you're saying. But I've also heard the is, you know, it just gave me an opportunity to be like introspective. Fantastic. Then, do you, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about about your degree, what sort of things you've studied within the degree, and then where you took the the, the particular degree once you graduated, or things you did even while still doing the degree that are music related. So uh, I have two music degrees. My undergrad is from the University, I'm sorry, Old Dominion University, which is in Norfolk, Virginia, and that is a Bachelor of Music and Music Performance in Percussion. So I'm a drummer, mainly, um, and I have a Master's in Music Performance from University of Buffalo, uh, also in Percussion Performance. So I studied all forms of like things you can ban, uh, literally from piano down to trash can and everything in between. Um, studied a lot of theory and composition. Well, I had no interest in doing the music education route. I definitely went for route, which at both schools were very, very department. Most of them were doing music education or music. Something. I also studied composition. I've done produced two of my own uh, full-length albums uh, and, and written for you know for preschool, you know commercial. Um, most of the work performed, although I did teach privately, and I probably taught students over the years. Uh, but I spent a year focusing on performance. I probably was prepared by several over that time span. Uh, there were times where I would play two different shows at night for three, at three different venues when work was really good. Um, like I said, I did my own stuff, but it was composed and, and performed of my, it was like, edgy, you know, really under the, the two of them. So not, not a money maker, not a lot of sold out show. <laughs> it turns out the funny, the funny realization, because I haven't been an active, like, performer for about 10 years, you know, I still get calls this time I work friends but not something I pursue anymore and and we started to do a lot of film work and commercial people are always like oh we need some music for this and I'm like oh, I got tons of music and I pull out some of my old stuff and it turns out that I'm really writing music for like television and commercial and movie but I was trying to do it as like live performance so a, a little self-realization moment oh that's why nobody came to our shows because it's just not <laughs> where like it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of music you would come and like dance to, you know, what do you want to come down? Like that. So, yeah, uh, it was kind of great to realize that it was a little more financially helpful if I learned that 10 years earlier. Like, uh, no regrets. No regrets. 
Fantastic. And then, so what's your favorite genre of music? Oh, the one that mixes them all together whenever it wants. Can you expand on that? Um, you know, again, I, I, I mentioned Frank Zappa a few minutes ago. I really love a lot of his uh, live releases from the 80s because he would switch on a dime and one tune would start out as like a reggae, which he was not a reggae artist, but he, he got really good at a certain point. So songs that he used to do as like a country or something like that, he would start out as a reggae. And then within the tune, they would just kind of twist and more. I, I worked with people that, um, and studied with people that, that used to work for him. And I've heard that he's right on a napkin and just like tape it to the, to the door of the green room what the set list was going to be, what the time signatures were going to be, and what the styles were going to be. And the band never before the show that, like, we're going to do apostrophe as a 5-4 reggae, you know? Like, they would they would learn that on their way out of the green room on a handwritten napkin taped to the door. So that stuff, I, it's very representative of life. That's kind of chaotic, you know? And as much as I, I used to think I love chaos, I really love or so I chase after chaos it's i learned later in life and that representative of that me and and that was always kind of what we did we would we would create these really hard scenarios even for us as students that we couldn't pull off at the time but we were like we're going to work this out so the total we came to the you know to the other and then we'd be able to perform it and and the performance people would be like wow that was really awesome like it took a lot of hard work, but yeah, I love being able to impose things or to be able to jump really hard. And uh, I feel like Zappa would love to listen to him. There's a couple of local ones too, and more like underground groups that do the same. There's a group out of uh, Northern California called Stratosphere, who really did an awesome job of kind of blending klezmer, acid jazz, you know, reggae, rock, metal. Cool. Sometimes every now and then a little video game music, just like shake it up, cocktail, and spit it out in a track. And just I love that stuff. And some people are like, "This is chaos to me. This is just like, this is like, it, it, it's noise, you know." But to me, it's it's really beautiful. So, and and when you say beautiful, is it because oh, because you recognize a little bit of rock? Oh, there's a little bit of. Uh, soul or whatever it may be and, and, and you just like how they all like intertwine together yeah, yeah no to me, like, unique sound if i could visually represent the way it makes me feel it would be like standing on like a huge cliff watching the most amazing sunset like when i hear it that's the imagery you get and other people are like covering their ears and like running cover and i'm just like this is so amazing you know this is just beautiful um yeah it makes me feel nice uh, and then we may or may not know the answer, but like, do you have any uh, favorite artists? I know you've uh, mentioned uh, Zachary a couple of times already. Yeah, and like, they're like per genre and kind of era, you know? So the first concert I ever attended as a kid was, uh, it was like 1987 or 88, and I went to see Motley Crue. It was their Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Now. Awesome. Anybody that knows anything about me would kind of laugh at that because it's not very deep music, you know? It's just kind of like, you know, it, especially that era was bubblegum. But that was what really pushed me towards that. Tommy Lee came out and did a drum solo over the crowd and a spinning cage. And I was just like, I want to do that. That's amazing. I pursued that. It was one of the 
I'm playing a drummer. So that group, again, you know, I love it. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, you know, seven, this 70s and 80s Zappa, uh, huge Bob Marley fan, especially late Marley. Um, I was in one of my first big bands, like 90s. Bunch of West Indian guys, the white drummer band, and, uh, just really gave me a, a schooling on uh, West Indian culture, Jamaican music, and you know Marley using uh, using Gardam as a as, as a platform for a message and, and to really help people and you know employ like thousands of people that otherwise would not have gotten employment by taking care of people. Uh, really really in terms of Comberg for sure and atonalism uh and also uh, what's the name uh forgetting it right now you he would my buddy would smack me uh Kravinsky also like late late classical late romanticism modern great great stuff i could go on there's so many <laughs> awesome okay so then so obviously two music two music uh, degrees and then so the, then you leave a uh, university and then how did you transition um, from mu music to owning uh, the restaurant della in brooklyn So yeah, my master was at like pretty much. We, I hung out for just a little period um, after uh, after I finished school. I had I had good work there. I was teaching a lot. I was playing all the time. Um, but we kind of hit the ceiling in terms of like where we were going to go, and that area can be kind of a, a sleepy town. Um, so we wanted to you know chase something bigger. My wife got a job offer uh, with uh, the New York City Department of Education. She's a math teacher here in New York has been for the last 15 years years um so we just i i always had my sights kind of set on new york and and you know to go back a little bit i've always been in the food industry as well i got my first like restaurant job at 14 years old you know washing dishes and taking out the trash nice. and I, yeah i i found an equal amount of artistry expression and food as i did in music so there was always like this counterpoint with me going back and forth between food and music where there were times where I was like, I'm done with music. I'm so sick of this shit. I'm going to just make food and not have to deal with that. And then there were times where I'm like, I'm so sick of the food industry. I'm just going to do music. And that, like, that was why I, I ended up getting a master's degree. Cause it's like, okay, if I do this, you know, back then I I'd had hopes of, of uh, being a college professor uh, in, and people were getting those gigs still like in the, the late nineties, especially when I was in school. And, um, you know, they would say back then, well, having an undergrad is good, but if you get your master's degree, then you'll really land a good job. And I'm like, okay, great. So that sounds like cool to get a master, you know, <laughs> master's degree. And they were like, really what you need, your PhD. And I'm like, mm, there's something spiffy here. And I'm hearing from people like there are no jobs anymore. Like people are staying at them until they die. Like I started to get, you know, friends higher up in, in university uh, administration and 
I was just like, oh man, that sucks. Um, <laughs> so that was one point where I was like, I'm just going to do music and didn't want to do food. And when we moved to New York, I intentionally did not want to move here to become like a busking musician. New York, especially at the time, had so many of those. And this one really, really famous drum instructor said to me one time, the last thing New York needs is another drummer. Like, it was before. <laughs> But I was like, point taken, like good. So what am I yeah. going to do? And, and another reason I got into uh, being a musician and being a freelancer, especially, is because I just didn't want to work for anybody. Like, I've always wanted to be my own boss. And as much, like, I was offered a partnership in my first restaurant when I was 22, and I turned it down. Because it wasn't the kind of restaurant I wanted to own. I, you know, I always kind of knew in the back of my head I would, even though I rebelled against it. And that, you know, turning that down was both. It was me rebelling, like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. But also, it just wasn't the one that I wanted. Like, the one I own now it was the vision all along. Um, and and so I moved here with an intention. I, I definitely wanted to work for some, some cool places, some cool restaurants in New York City, both in the kitchen and behind the bar. And I got the opportunity to do that, which was great. And, um, and then I got kind of, there was a, a period where... Um, my, my current business partner had opened a, a, a cool little boutique wine store in our neighborhood. Um, we were both, you know, working for larger companies in Manhattan and kind of had met there. But then we realized we lived in the same neighborhood and that he had just opened this cool little wine store. And so he was like, how about you come help out a little bit? You know a lot about wine. You know what you're doing. I can use somebody like you. And within a couple of weeks, he was like, all right, we've got to come up with something. We've got to do something together. And, and we kind of set out to do that. And that was in... I don't know, 2008 or 2009, I can't really remember, but um, we just started going after stuff then. Um, I'm very operational, like boots in the street kind of guy, and he and his wife, who are my partners, are very uh, behind the scenes, great at like raising capital and all the, you know, permits and filing and all that stuff that I really just don't enjoy, enjoy doing. <laughs> and so we just kind of went after it and opened, we opened four more of our own places in that time and over the next, you know, several years and consulted for several more. Uh, so we built a nice little business out of it and it just became a thing. And it was funny, like I didn't set out to do that really. I got not intentionally, I guess like my actions said that, but I wasn't thinking that. I remember the first time a guy called me an entrepreneur, I didn't know what it meant. And I thought he was insulting me. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck man? You like, like, like <laughs> I, I like, actually looked it up and I was like, oh, and I was like, is that what I am? Like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Um, it's kind of grown on me since then. But, um, you know, they were just like, we're going to open a restaurant together. And I was like, really? OK. <laughs> <laughs> and then like they kind of slowly pulled out of it. So now it's like mainly mine. And, you know, we, we've done we sold other businesses um we've closed other businesses um but now we're down to kind of just the two where it's the wine store and the uh and the restaurant that we that we collectively own and run um i'm, I'm involved in other other projects as well but yeah it was just kind of this meandering journey where i wasn't like really going after it at least i was telling myself i wasn't but i guess my actions were saying yeah he's going after it um to the point where anytime there was a new build out on because we we live and our places are along this commercial strip in Brooklyn. Like I literally live right above one of the places. 
um, where there's storefronts dotting it. You know, there's there's 25 storefronts in like two blocks. So anytime the, the paper went up in the windows and like construction workers started to go into a place, people would stop and say, what are you doing now? What's in there? <laughs> Not me. Not me. No. I, got, I just got that reputation. I just think it's funny that, you know, it's just like a guy working hard, but I guess that's what it, that's it. You know, if you work hard. That's what people see and uh, and expect. So awesome. And then, so what are what are some of the uh, responsibilities of uh, running your own restaurant? Well, you know, it's changed, especially with um, with you know COVID and all the the lockdown and restrictions that we've had. Um, you know, early on, it was kind of like all hands on deck. We were so busy our first year. It was just remarkable. Um, we opened at the end of 2015, so 2000, all of 2016 was just scrambling we were drowning we could not keep up with the business you know we'd have 20 people staff a day oh wow and it's a small place it's a thousand square feet i mean we we would we had people we had people waiting for weeks to get in there and it, like it's new york there's restaurants everywhere but people were showing up as it's like it was the first restaurant they'd ever seen you know it was pretty crazy i mean it was great but why do you think that happened um our neighborhood had not seen anything new in a long time. It's kind of like a quiet little sleepy neighborhood, even though we're only like, we're like eight stops from World Trade Center in lower Manhattan. We're like right next to everything, but we're nestled in this like special spot. We really paid off during COVID, I got to say. It's, we always knew this was like kind of this angelic little place, but it it, it showed us why more recently. And, and there's there's been a, a big spike in local pride since then for the people that stayed. Um, but yeah, it was just like a quiet little place. And, and we, you know, we brought in like a real chef and, um, this guy had worked for Mario, uh, Batali at Del Posto and some other places. And, you know, we like, we make our own pasta, you know, our, our like regular items on our menu are like baby octopus and duck ragus. So it wasn't just like spaghetti and meatballs, you know, it was, <laughs> it was more authentic Italian and, and European styled. And, um, the place is like really pretty inside. We put, you know. We put several hundred thousand dollars into the architecture, so it was, you know, it was nice. Um, so I guess that's why. But uh, you know, the, 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 to answer your question, the the, the duties definitely morphed along the way. So at that point, we had you know different managers for different things. Then things started to slow down, especially like all of New York City saw a big turn after the election of 2016. It just like really hit people hard. Um, people already started to leave the city at that point, and they were like huge increase you know living on people's incomes it was just like um nobody knew what was going to happen next there was almost like fear you know and and that's like a, as a death sentence for consumer spending you know people spend well when they're super confident um when they're not they're a little bit more conservative with their cash so Places all over the city started to feel it. You know, places have been closing here with rapidity for a while. It's really exacerbated right now, but this was going on definitely since 2017. Um, and so at that point, you know, I became the head person there. My partners, we, everybody kind of splintered and people took over different projects and different things. So I took over 100% there. And I really tried to set it up where I had a full staff. So I wasn't, you know washing dishes or making drinks or serving or anything like that. I was there support. I was there for training. I was there as the figurehead and, and outreach. 
Um, and I dealt with all the back end stuff. So I dealt with all the finances, all the permitting, everything, you know, that, that, uh, a normal person that worked there would have no idea about. Um, but lately, since the shutdown, my entire front of the house left the city. Literally, all my servers and bartenders were just like, bye-bye. And my entire kitchen staff stayed. <laughs> so I had to cook. <laughs> but I've definitely had to wash dishes. I've made every drink that has come out of the restaurant for the last months. I haven't had a dog. They, they closed the dining room on March 16th. I've barely had an afternoon off. Like to stop and do something like this because I'm at the wine store every day during the afternoon usually. So I was there briefly and about to do this, but I'm at the restaurant every night, every drink. I've taken almost every phone order. You know, my wife has been helping a lot, but she's a teacher. Um, so she's starting back to school now, even though it's modified. Um, so my responsibilities are going to go up again because she's going to have less time to be there. So now I'm like very hands on. Plus, I still have to take care of all the back end stuff. That but they just announced uh, yesterday that dining rooms in New York can begin to open at 25 percent capacity starting September 30th. So I'll start to bring people back in to help me out because I'll need it. Um, it's been good though. Like we hustled, we worked really hard at, you know, the first three months we didn't touch a dime from the place. We just left the money in the bank to make sure the place survived. We took care of our staff. We took care of our closest vendors, um, especially the local ones. Uh, but now it's, we're, we're, we're in a good position. Not all, not all businesses and restaurants in New York city can say that right now. So you must feel good about that. The, the, the surviving, these, so the uncertain, times and you must feel a sense of like gratitude or appreciation for, for all the work that you and your wife are putting in and I'm sure other people too yeah no 100% you know um and validation too you know I started hosting my show which is called the entrepreneurial web a year ago and um I, you know kind of got just thrown and you know I didn't come up with that name either but the station manager was like I'd love for you to host a show about entrepreneurship and I was like this again that word again <laughs> here we go so I just kind of got thrust into that and, and I had to market it and I that's when I really got active on social media and discovered you and, and people like Damon Johnson who's, who's my boy um and and you know I talked a lot about it over the last year and I've definitely I've definitely been through some like business battles and suffered losses and wins and everything but this was very validating in terms of all the things that I've ever said all the things I thought I knew about business and entrepreneurship that's been branded in my soul um through this experience so I feel much more confident talking about that um and giving advice which people come to me for all the time uh uh, in regards to that, um, so gratitude that we still have our business, that we can still, you know, employ people and make our neighborhood a nice and safe place. You know, the cops always come through and they're like, thank you for adding more lights to the street at night. Because before there was a lot more crime where we're at, you know, because there were no really? businesses. It was just crazy. And so they're, you know, they're grateful. So for all those things and to be able to to continue to offer that. Um, and and some of the some of the outstanding things we got involved with during COVID, uh, one of the things I was really proud of was uh, being a partner with Feed Brooklyn Heroes, which was an organization that raised money from just, you know, locals and, and would uh, summon restaurants to provide uh, meals for hospital workers and work who either had no access or no time, because literally the hospitals you know, the, the cafeteria is closed in the hospitals. Right. 
every hospital in New York City is surrounded by, you know, hundreds of places to eat. That's like a, a hot spot. Couldn't even go outside. Some, most of the workers, they were so busy in the peak of all this, they couldn't even stop to go outside, go get food, or they felt like it wasn't safe because they were contaminated. They were we, around us. And um, that was just like amazing to be a part of. You know, at first, when they first that's me. I was like, no way we can accommodate this. Like 100 to 200 lunches delivered by noon. Crazy. Um, but we did it. We did our first run. Our profit got easier. And then we ended up doing thousands of lunches. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was just such a great thing to be a part of and like a morale booster. Um, so all those things definitely gave me so much gratitude and, and validity. And, and it was the, it was the, you know, the uh, inspiration that we need the morale boost that we needed to continue because there were days where it was not like that. There were some days, you know, there were some hard days. There were days I'd open the bank account and be like, oh no. And and you know, we I wasn't in a position anymore to to add any more money to the business, even though I had it, it was like this could be a, you know, this could be a dying car. Like I'm not, I'm not putting anything in right now. And to come out of that on top definitely feels good because there were there were some there were some lows, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, and and it, and it must feel nice, um, like to to be able to keep the business going, employing people, but yet also doing your part to help the the, the frontline workers. And then and that actually must have felt really like good that the, that the cops actually recognized like. Your contribution to the to to, to to the to the local community because that's that's not every day because they're obviously busy but the fact that they were like oh that this is helping this particular zone right yeah it, you know when we've always been active in our community because like I said we we live right here my partner and I and between us like we have six kids they have three, we have three we've all gone to local schools and you know been on the local sports teams and all that and we've always supported so we always you know felt like active community members supported but again this is another one of those periods where it really actually way um you know it it just felt really good like people were really freaking out and major losses some financially some physically some both you know, to to just do it with a smile and at, like with no expectation return, be like, let me just help. You know, that felt really great. Be this subsequent uh, has also felt really good. Awesome. And then so let's uh, mix it up a little bit. So what? <laughs> Kind of, well, obviously sticking with the theme of food and music, but I'm curious to know uh, what role, if any, um, does music have in creating ambience in your restaurant? I, I always love to have the right music on. Now, the right music, it's very subjective. <laughs> <laughs> There's the right for me. One time I did, it, our, our, our Wi-Fi or something went down, so I just had to grab my iPad and open up my iTunes, and whatever was downloaded on my iPad was what we got, and it was the weirdest 
the weirdest music and it was playing through the speakers of the whole restaurant and the bartender looked at me at one point and he goes i think you're stressing everybody out can we change the music <laughs> um i i'm a a lot of what i studied in school um and since has been um the music of the caribbean central and south america like i said i started with you know playing roots reggae but super fond of like indigenous Peruvian music and the, all of Brazil, um, you know, the music, the indigenous music of Puerto Rico, not, you know, what everybody thinks of as salsa or merengue. Plena and Bomba and some of the more uh, leading to West African music as well. Um, so we're constantly playing that kind of stuff every night. Especially on Labor Day, West Indian for many, many years. Years, like put on some soca and uh, we rocked the night out with that on. Um, but you know, <laughs> I got TikTok because of Gary V. <laughs> and I, I start TikToks all the time because he kept talking about it. And I'm like, really? It's super paid off though. It was 100% on point. It's a trip. Most of what I do on TikTok these days is. Uh, is is fitness based but um i would do videos for the restaurant and for the wine store on tiktok because they were short and it was the only way you could use a lot of that pop music and put it on your on your facebook or instagram page and not get blocked by facebook and instagram as long as it had the the tiktok logo embedded in it because they deal with the royalties for that um so now i'm like super fond of like this you know like <laughs> top hits music, which I always felt against, but, you know, my daughter will walk in the restaurant, my 13-year-old, and she's like, Dad, this is a great playlist. <laughs> it just, like, it's funny. I always, I just kind of frowned upon that kind of music my whole life. Um, I remember playing a gig, like, 15 years ago in Manhattan, and a friend of mine at the end of the show, he was like, I never thought I'd see the day where you played a Britney Spears song. And I was like, I played a Britney Spears song like I didn't even know. He was like, totally, bro. You were rocking out to it. And I was like, oh, no. You know, it was just always like the worst thing that could happen to me. And now I just like, I don't even care. I don't know who, I don't know the names of the, the people. I know the tunes. But it's just like from what I hear on TikTok. And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like totally into it. So I just like try to, I really try to create. And I was, and anybody that really knows the service industry will say this. You're, you're constantly creating an experience. Even when you come into the wine store, you're not selling people a bottle of wine. It's important to have like some form of like enjoyable music on. Obviously, it's not everybody's going to love it, but just get people excited and talking. And then when you're selling them a bottle of wine, you're, it's not about like how the wine is place other than where they're at which is why they're in the first place right because they're unhappy with where they want to transport they want to get out a little bit and it's the same when you come into any business when you come into a restaurant you really want to make them feel like they've escaped and i think that's the biggest uh draw especially in new york city for a place like that you want to forget about your responsibilities to like have to do dishes to have to clean up the kitchen you want to kick back you want to be in this environment so to not be too subjective about it but to but create a place where they feel like they've done that. And that's what I always strive for. I think about the whole, one thing I neglected for a long time was lighting. I had, I'm just like blind to lighting, which is a funny thing to say, but lighting is so important. And thankfully I have like really smart partners because they were like, dude, we got to put good. 
okay, whatever you say. We spent thousands of dollars on these lights, but people come in and they're like, your lighting is amazing. You couple that with some good music and some good smells from the kitchen, a little tink tink from the glasses behind the bar, and all of a sudden people are like, this is it. And it's, it's that experience. So it definitely plays a part. Awesome. So uh, obviously you probably uh, love uh, food because, and beverages a lot because you obviously work in this uh, industry. So I'm curious to know what is your favorite uh, meal and beverage of choice? Well, I, I typically only eat one meal a day and it's usually pretty late. Um, I, I kind of readopted a, a diet before it was never conscious that was, people weren't talking about it, but I just never ate before like two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, kind of growing up. I, like in, in high school, I always skip wow. lunch um and never ate breakfast um and and i would kind of only eat one late meal a day and then people are like oh that's bad for you as i got older and like you know they're like don't do that so i kind of adopted other things but i'm just kind of back to it now and now they call it intermittent fasting but it was just me listening to my body but yeah these days uh you know i eat one big meal late at night usually after everybody else has eaten you know all the customers um once they're all done and gone. So like last night, I think I ate dinner at 11 p.m. Yeah, and that's normal. Um, and then I won't eat in the morning. I'll wake up and have a couple cups of coffee. Uh, I always do workout in the morning now. Uh, I'll eat something small maybe in the afternoon, but I go aside 14 hours a day without eating. Um, and then I'll eat one big meal at the end of the night. It, that's my favorite. Interesting. So, so, like, I know for me that I have to eat like, like, super regularly. Otherwise, I get nauseous, lose con like concentration, and I get grumpy with people. Does it, does it not, a, does it not affect you at all? Like, do you, do you not crave food? Um, not really. No, not, not like during the day. Uh, I feel like it just slows me down. And my dad was exactly the same. And he was like a he was like an ultra athlete. He he was an Ironman. He ran marathons, uh, triathletes. You know, he's still in his late sixties. He's a he's a competitive bodybuilder. The guy's just crazy. But he was the same way. So I'm kind of built like him as far as that goes. Um, and and you know, I watched him do it. And, and yeah, it's just, I feel like lighter on my feet. I feel faster. Um, if anything, I'll grab like a coconut water, and maybe have like a third coffee. And I'm good to go, you know, whereas if like if I stop and eat a meal during the day, I'm just going to fall asleep. I literally just like I just got <laughs> like the air gets seeped out of my body and I just fall asleep. That's really interesting. Like, yeah, you've trained your body in that way. I mean, I, I didn't train it. I feel like I was just listening to it. And again, when I went against it based off of like talking to nutritionists and personal trainers and stuff. And they're like, oh, you should always eat a little something in the morning, make sure it's protein, da, 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 da. You know, uh, what do they say to, um, you know, to wake up uh, your metabolism. Everybody's different. You know, I did that for a little while and I was like, nah, I'm going back and I feel much better. Yeah, I feel really good. I mean, they say when you do that, when you go like long periods like that without eating, it forces your cells to rejuvenate. It's really good to just like detoxify your body. Um, I didn't know all that when I first started doing it, but I've learned that since. And I'm like, yeah, I've put enough toxins in. It's probably a good idea. <laughs> right uh, Awesome. Uh, so let's uh, pause for a moment and have a, a little tea fact. Yeah. Uh, so, 
So, so today is a tea fact is during afternoon tea, uh, the person nearest the teapot is expected to pour the tea and not the person of hi higher authority. So this is going back obviously quite a few, few years ago to when there was the, more of the class system, etc. So it's basically telling you if you don't like pouring tea, try not to sit nearest the teapot. And that comes from uh, teahowl.com. Fascinating, isn't it? That's great. Um, I, w I was thinking about you the other day because I tried out this new, um, I know when you came on my show, I was asking you about tea a little bit. And thing. I was really into root teas, if that's a, even a thing, um, yeah. like ginger and turmeric. I don't, I don't make that in the summer because it's a huge pot and it's been too hot to like have a hot center hours in the air conditioned apartment in New York. Um, I found this coffee mixture by Four Sigma. It's lion's mane and chaga mushroom. They call it a tea and it's mixed with instant ground coffee as well. But someone was like, you got to try this stuff. And I'm like, oh, not for nothing. This is pretty good. <laughs> so, so what's the story with like the mushroom tea like chaga and lion's mane is that actually tea i wanted to ask you this if it's made from mushroom i don't actually know i'm not gonna lie good good twitter tea fact I'll, but i'll go i'll, I'll go i'll go do some research and uh, and let you know what i discover about that perfect thanks for my homework for the day thank you okay. <laughs> That's so good. Awesome. So then, let's where are we go next. All right. So, so you're the, so you're the chairman of the Windsor Terrace Food Food uh, Coop, correct? Cola. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, so can, can you tell us a little bit how you kind of got involved in this particular project and how yeah. it worked? So, uh, Brooklyn is home to. Uh, the largest nationally, maybe even internationally, food co-op, but definitely the largest in the in the country, uh, but perhaps in the world, and that's the Park Slope Food Co-op, which was established in late, either late 60s or early 70s uh, in, in the neighboring vicinity to us, just a, just a few blocks away. And so we've lived close to it uh, for the last 15 or so years. My wife and I joined when we first moved here. We were members for 10 years. Um, and the whole time I was there, I kind of was like, wow, it'd be great. I've always been interested in business models. Um, I've never done anything nonprofit, nonprofit or not-for-profit. Um, so I've, I'd always kind of thought like, wow, it would be, it would be potentially exciting <laughs> to open a, a food co-op to kind of like provide that service to a community, but to also get inside uh, nonprofit and not-for-profit business structures. So it must have been like 2013. There's there was only one small. You know they don't have like big grocery stores in New York City for the most part. Most right. all you know little local stores. So there was like this medium-sized grocery store. It was like literally the only business in our neighborhood that had a parking lot. You know, and it, it had like 15 parking spaces. It was like tiny. You know, by all. For prestigious, right? Parking yeah. spot in New York. You know, like. <laughs> but it was like so old and decrepit. I mean, it, it was like walking into a time warp. You felt like you were in the 1950s when you went in there. And and the owner finally closed it and sold the property. And they announced that it was going to be, everybody expected it to be a grocery store. 
it was announced that Walgreens had bought it and it was just going to be a Walgreens. And like there were protests in the street. Like they took over the parking lot. This is like right around the Occupy Wall Street time. And they like Occupy Key Food or Occupy Walgreens. It was so funny. Um, so that was when the conversation started. And a very good friend of mine was kind of uh, one of the central figures of that. And at a certain point, I was invited to come to one of their early meetings where they were just meeting in literally like the Knights of Columbus on 10th Avenue. Uh, nobody knew anything about opening or running a small business. And I walked <laughs> in and they were literally ready to give up. And I walked in and it wasn't just me. It was a couple other people that just kind of breathed some fresh air into it. Um, but it was so cute. They were like, we want to get a one year lease. Right. And I was like, no, like a business does not get a one year lease. That's crazy. You know, they, they were like, oh, and like all these things came up and I was like, all right, I'm going to help you guys out. And then, um, like I said, it was a good friend of mine. He and I just kind of teamed up and we became part of like the core fabric of what became the Wizard Terrace Food Co-op. So, you know, like 18 months of research and planning and uh, we, we signed a lease in January of 2015 and opened in March. And it's literally a community owned grocery store. You know, it's small. It's about 700 square feet, but we have everything, um, you know, household needs. My, my household buys almost everything we need from there. Uh, and we... We have control over who we get our food from. Uh, we use a lot of uh, local farms and regional farms going you know, out to Long Island, up into the Hudson, the Finger Lakes, into New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, and it really just puts, it, it empowers you um, and you get to keep, it's all the, all the labor is voluntary. So there's, we have just a couple measures that we pay um, to make sure everything runs smoothly, but otherwise okay. all labor is, uh, is is voluntary um and, and free um and that's what gets you your discount so it's really great food at the best prices uh really just empowers the community and then that place too does a tremendous amount of outreach and community support for other um other local nonprofits and and you know, community-based initiatives um so it's been a pleasure it's not been easy it was a lot harder than we thought it was going to be um, but I, I'm definitely proud of that one and, and my participation. In it. I've, I've never made a dime from it. It has been completely a labor of love. In fact, I've done nothing but invest money into it. Like sometimes it just literally something went down and I just had to pull money out of my own pocket because it was just like, that was the only way to make it happen. You know, maybe I'd grab like some bananas the next time I went in, but, um, yeah, completely a labor of love. Uh, and, and I'm very proud of that. Awesome. And, it, and it's still going? Yeah, absolutely. We, we did great through all this because people did not want to go into big grocery stores. Right. And it came down to like the service experience where we were able, it's a members only grocery store. So we okay. were able to pull our members and say, how would you like to shop? You know, what would you like to see happen? And we took all that feedback and we provided it. So most people wanted curbside pickup and it was, so nobody was coming into the store for a few days a week. Um, and, and the, the staff and managers literally sanitized everything, would package it up. You would pay over the phone. You would, you know, you would show up, you'd call from outside. They would just set your food out on the curb and you knew that it was clean and that it was safe and that the people that had prepared it for you were your neighbors and they had your best intentions and their safety in mind. So it became very intimate. Um, oh, we, cool. we, our own internal uh, way of ordering online without developing some fancy website. So it was great. It was a really great experience. Our sales went way up. Uh, it really helped us kind of 
get ready for the next phase of what I, I hope is coming. Um, and we've continued to do really well since. Also, man, it, it strikes me like it's kind of a running theme, theme throughout the conversation. It's all about that experience in like different contexts and getting to, to know the people that from your suppliers to your customers to, to your staff and really creating that like community element almost and i'm very fascinated by the way everything works like i always want to know how something works not just like what's the end product uh it's almost like and and certainly finance is not the the big reason for what <laughs> Don't I don't my my earnings are meager, you know. Especially if you if you envision a restaurant owner as being like, you know, wealthy, they're not. <laughs> you look happy and, and you're giving back to the community, and people recognize that, and that's more important. And you're still living, yeah. Uh, and I and that's I and that's what I chase. I don't chase the dollars. I figured out ways to be happy and make enough. Like I still rent an apartment. I've never owned a home. I don't own a car. You know, there's a lot of things I don't have. And I don't care. Um, I, I definitely love what I do. You can, you couldn't have gotten through the last six months. You didn't love, like, and I mean love, not like, oh, I kind of loved it. Like, I think I love this. Like, if you didn't love it, you would not survive because the, the pressure was too tremendous, you know? Um, it would be like a you know one of your closest family members being sick and you having to be there with them and like get them through it. That's what it was like, and you you do that out of love. Um, and I I enjoyed most of it. You know I had a smile on my face every day. Um, but yeah, I, I do love building community, um, and I do love figuring out how things work. What are the inner workings? How does it operate? Why? What makes it better? What makes it more efficient? Why? Do you not do this, but do that? Like, what are the real reasons why? So I'm always asking, like, why, why, why? That's a big, that's a big question for me. Why is it necessary? Why is it not? You know, and being able to answer that. Fantastic. And, and, and then, so let's jump from that into. You can correct me if I if I if if I'm wrong, but let's see. So, so you're involved with the Food Forward series for midweek productions? Yeah, yeah. I, my restaurant was featured in it for our work with the hospitals, and that, that just came out. It's just streaming uh, this week. It's free to log in uh, and create an account, and then you can watch all the uh, all the episodes. Oh, so, so oh, okay. So, so the video like highlights kind of the contribution and the work that you did towards supporting frontline workers. So, yeah, we. We were, you know, a small portion of it, but um, they dealt with people throughout the Northeast. Um, you know, there was a, a, you know, a fishery outside of Boston, there was a, a dairy farm. I can't remember where they were, but somewhere regionally um, and other restaurants and just things like that. And how did people respond? Because we were all kind of put in this situation in this pinch. And it's like, oh, and you're facing, you know, you're facing termination. Um, but then you hear that there's like a need somewhere and you're like, all right. I think. What else are we gonna do? <laughs> exactly. Right. Also, so for everybody, it was like a hail mary, last ditch effort to, to to help, and then it turned out to be something really cool. So it was like COVID success stories, but not like we made lots of money. It was like we were there for people. Fantastic. So has is is community and um, something that's always been important to you? You know, or, or, or is it something more that's just naturally happened as you've gone about all these different adventures? 
Yeah, I think it was it was more organic. It was never anything conscious before, but I've always done it. So it all comes down to self-awareness. You know, it took me, you know, 40 years to realize some of the things about myself. And then so my my guest on my show last week was my little brother. And we just talked about like all these things, like where does it come from? And totally it was like our grandfather was the exact same way. One of my early bosses and mentors who's been on the show um, and who I still talk to all the time, uh, I did it working under him. I didn't realize it until starting these businesses with my business partners currently who who kind of did, you know, did the same thing. And it was just so natural to me. And I'm like, where am I getting this from? And then, like, I was talking to him one time and he was telling me what he was doing at the moment. And I was like, oh, yeah, we used to do this all the time. So now it's more conscious. Uh, I think it was always in me, but it was definitely just more an organic awareness of it. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm going, I'm going hard on it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that pro- progression is, is the best, best way it, it kind of should be because it happened naturally. And you, and so you kept it simple. You didn't like overdid it, but the, but the impact you, maybe you could argue uh, is more great to more people because because it just happened by itself versus you being like writing on a piece of paper, I need to help Sally, Bruce, and Wayne today, right? Yeah, exactly. I think expectations and plan fill a lot of things. Um, and it's funny, of all the things that are working for me right now, most of it are things that I did not pursue actively. They just kind of landed. So that I finally just adopted that as my approach. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep myself in the middle just constantly doing things, but I'm really just going to pay attention and listen to what's what the universe is throwing at me, and respond. And when something there, there's a, a you know a favorable resonance, then then we'll go with that. And that that feels the best because I don't have expectations. I've never I'm never concerned. I'm never like oh what's going to happen next. It's like I know something's going to happen next. I didn't know this all was going to happen. You know if you I know what it did. Man, if you would have said to me in March what has played out, I would have been like, yo, I will crumble. I will fold. Like if you would have told, I was saying to somebody just the other day, if you would have said to me on March 8th, your restaurant's going to be takeout only for 15 weeks. The following 16 weeks, you're only going to be able to seat outside. How long do you give yourself? I would have been like, we'd be done in two weeks. We'd be out. <laughs> We're not going to make it. So if I would have known all that ahead of time, I would have just given up, you know, but we responded in real time. And I, and I just adopted that philosophy, like, let's see what comes at us and we'll go like five day increments. And that was the reason for our, our success. Not like, okay, here's the plan guys. Here's the expectation. If we don't meet these checkpoints, boom, we're out, you know, that would, those, those are the people that left, you know? So uh, it's, it's helped me to have that mentality and not chase things so much. Yeah. Every now and then go after something. But. Awesome. And then uh, let's go towards the final transition. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, podcasting and the, the entrepreneurial web, which I was uh, fortunate enough to be on it. I think it was a few, couple of months ago now. Yeah. So, so, so how long have you been doing this and how did it start? I guess is the. Start. Yeah. So we're coming up on a year. Um, a year ago, July, July 20. I was invited to be on another show on this this network, uh, talking alternative broadcasting. Um, a gentleman who hosted a, a kind of virtual real estate, a virtual walking tour of neighborhoods throughout New York City, 
And that particular week was the neighborhood I live in called Windsor Terrace. He got my information. He always likes to bring on uh, like somebody that does history, but then also somebody who's more current and kind of in the in the, the now scene. So he heard about me, got my information from somebody, reached out and asked me if I'd like to come on and, and do the last half of his show and be interviewed. And I was like, sure. So I go to the stage, which at that point was on the upper side. Um, cute little station. I wish they still had that one. The new one's more convenient, but the other one was so nice. Um, so we we do this show when he's asking these questions. My involvement, like this, like how involved. At the end of the show, the the station manager was literally like, "Do you want to host the show?" Or thought about it. I was like, you know, Gary Vee said a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um. He was like, yeah, he was like, I, I think you, he said, you got a great thing, Brady. <laughs> um, no, he invited me to do a show and, and uh, this was the executive director. And he was like, I, I know about entrepreneurship and I think it's worth Valley. And I'm like, again, here we go. This, that bad word. <laughs> but I, I was like, sure. I'll, I, you know, there's, there's some investment, you know, possibly, uh, and, uh, but I decided it would be the best thing for me and for my businesses and for what I was looking to do with my life. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I just took a shot at it with no experience at all. You know, I've been a performer. I was like a adult. So I knew I could get up and talk uh, and not be shy. We, the first couple of those were audio only. And then we started video and it's live too. <laughs> I have every, every Friday. Have the challenger. Yeah, well, but I just that part didn't scare me at all. I was just like, oh, great. I wanted to do the video prematurely. He was like, let's do a couple shows with just um, freeze up or panic or throw up or anything. And I was like, all right, great. And then by my third show, he was like, you're ready. So uh, the performative aspect of it is definitely exciting for me. I love that kind of in the moment. Again, it's like chaos and you're making order out of it. <laughs> but I literally prepared nothing. I just walked into the studio with my guest and my first, you know, Definitely like the first dozen were people that I knew well, that I knew I could talk with at length. And even if I kind of fumbled, they would they would make the show good. Um, and then I started to get more and more confident and bring on people I didn't know. Uh, people, then, then I got into like absolute strangers and we did everything in studio um, up until my last in studio uh, show was March 13th. Uh, then we went to Zoom since then and that it really helped you know and it was something i would never have been into prior you know i always wanted it to be intimate and in person um but it forced me into a you know a place that i wasn't really fond of going and then uh it, it turned out to be the best thing i uh, really helped with the marketing and outreach and i've met so many and so many not that that is bad but uh it really it just really helped see the bigger picture and what's available um by by going through that process so that was good awesome um so so you kind of touched on it but do you think the style of interviewing and even improvisation and going with the flow of the conversation, do you, do you think it's improved as as you've hosted more episodes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've gotten more comfortable as a host, and and 
started to think more about style. Yeah, I never had listened to like two Joe Rogan podcasts before doing my otherwise. I never, I didn't even like, I never, I did no homework or research since I've listened to and watched some other ones. And I still, I still want to be like Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm finding my, my own little voice and, um, you know, it's, it's different depending on the guest. I mean, some of my guests are a little more dry, so I'll tame my humor down when it was me and my brother. <laughs> it was a lot of, it was a lot of smack talk. Um, and, and I still have so, so much room to grow, but, um, yeah, I mean, having to do things like this where you're virtual and remote and you've got like latency and the sounds going in and out, and sometimes there's no video. I mean, it really puts the pressure on you, but you still want to be entertaining and informative. And so it forces you to like just come up with, with solutions. Um, so it's been great helping me do that. Right. And I would definitely agree. Sometimes you, you just have to work through the the technology because. Yeah. You, you you can't necessarily fix the technology because this thing this things you that you you just don't decide like how good is the internet connection gonna be today you know and that's sort of thing so 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 I'd agree, so I'd agree with about trying to stay positive and entertaining and inform informative so what has been your most challenging moment that when you've been doing these live shows and how did you deal with it in the moment. So two times, for whatever reason, my audio, just like how it started for us, like I had the headsets on and the mic and everything, and it was just dead right when we're going live at noon. And so it's it's a live audio broadcast through talkradio.nyc, a live audio broadcast on Facebook. And, you know, the show comes on and my theme music and everything, and then it's just like crickets. And I'm like tapping and hitting buttons, and I'm like, like plugging in things. That's happened twice. You know, the feet of sweat running down my head. <laughs> and then when you come out of it, like the second time it happened, I did not know the guy at all on the, on the show the second time. And it was so funny when I finally got the but it, you know, it was probably 30 seconds, but felt like 10 minutes, you know, that situation. And as soon as it kicked in, I, it was like, I just won the Super Bowl. You know, I just celebrated. <laughs> like it just set the show off in such a good way. Like we just had a great time after that. So it's like, you know, how you make friends after like something crazy happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it was like. And we, we just kind of connected. Um, another show, this was like really tough. The guy is a friend of mine. He just lives right around the corner from me, but we we were in our own apartments doing the show because it was like six weeks ago and everybody's still trying to like create some distance. He wasn't, you know, I checked in with him the day before. He was like, yeah, I'm totally good to do it. And then that morning I texted him. I was like, you know, just check in, make sure you've got everything you need. No response. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure everything's fine. I spoke to him last night. It's like five minutes to noon. I'm calling him. He's not answering his phone. I'm like, oh, no. And Sam's like, it's time to go on. And I'm like, did the guy log on yet? He's like, no. So I get on and I'm just like, uh-oh, he's not there. Like, I got to do a whole show by myself, like impromptu. I, and I would have done it. Um, I would have come up with something. So like five minutes in, I'm just like talking. I'm like, rrr, 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 and, and he finally logs in. And I'm like, oh, sweet, you're here. But he couldn't get his video working. So even though people could hear them, they could only see me. And I was like, sorry, guys, just stuck with this the whole time. <laughs> like knowing that the whole time, like then when there's nothing else to look at, look at you want to make sure you're not like, mm, you know, like. <laughs> so 
had to be like focused and pay attention and like not wander, especially as he was talking. You know, it's easy to just kind of like drift off and you don't realize like you're doing something weird with your ear. You know, <laughs> that was that was a tough one. Um, and I, you know, I just kept making silly jokes like it's too bad you can't see Matthew because he's much more attractive than me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would just I was just doing stuff like that to keep it entertaining. And I always use I love to use humor as a way to diffuse uncomfortable situations. Like, and I'll do it at my own expense. I would, I would be the first person to throw myself under the bus and degradate myself just to make other people feel better um, or to make a situation less uncomfortable. So I did a good amount of that, you know, and we got through. That was, that was a tough one though. Nice. And then, so what, what advice would you give someone who maybe is thinking about starting the, uh, their own podcast or talk show or radio it all falls under the same umbrella really definitely i would say just start if you have a if you have a itch you need to scratch it and there's no i mean i started with like the fancy studio and everything you know and technicians and all that stuff but that, that didn't really matter because soon we were we were forced into the street and i was fortunate because there were two there were two weeks or three weeks where the station was shut down. One was the Friday right after Thanksgiving. And then um, the Fridays after Christmas and New Year's, the station was shut down. And I was just getting started. So I was like, I'm not trying to miss a week. So I just figured out how to broadcast myself. And I did it from my restaurant just on my phone like I'm doing right now. Um, and that was really low tech. And it came out it came out really great. You know, it was it was totally fine. Um, I think you really just need to get like the most basic equipment. And just hop in and do it. Um, yeah. You know, and you'll you'll learn along the way. I mean, it's like I, I trained uh, martial arts for five years. In one day a week, and do like six classes and see like long term improvement. But if you come, if you even did fifteen minutes day every day you would get significantly time and that would you just hop in and do it focus on just like your volume be consistent but just get in hit people up and bring guests on and just you'll learn as you go so listen to you know the experienced people like see with mike see what he has to say <laughs> no, um ask yeah. You know, ask questions to people who have who have been doing it, um, but just just hop in and, and get going. That's the best advice. And, and I'm finding it seems the the more complicated you make it and added all of these like recommendations. Oh, you need this microphone and you need this. It almost like makes it worse. <laughs> can it can totally make? I mean, today I was like, oh. I'm going to use the headphones in my lav mic, which are nothing. They cost $50 total. But even that, the, the, you know, Skype was like, mm -mm, no, not today. <laughs> so here we're just using the most basic thing. And it's just the the, the native mic on my phone and uh, the native video. And, and you're just using the same. Well, you, I think you got a, you have a podcast mic, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but it, the, just, and some of the best shows come with like not great quality. That's and true. if people are interested they'll watch it anyways. Like if you're, if you're, you're engaging them and intriguing them, they call it offering value. <laughs> That's a new one for me. Everybody's talking about, Oh, offer value. And I'm like, okay, like how, like I know how to do that in a store. Like here's a discount or whatever, you know, 
you got to engage people. You got to get people excited. Um, that's value. You know, if you can, if you're doing that, they'll, they'll swim through all the muck and mire to listen to what's happening and watch what's happening because you've engaged them because you've got them pumped. Uh, the other advice, get people pumped. Even the most successful people and the people with huge teams behind them, like Gary Vaynerchuk, that tech isn't always up to scratch. Yeah. Yeah, the tea with Gary Vee, that was like times where it was like, you know, and they would just stop. <laughs> they would just like disappear for a while. Or, 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 or he slumped on the table. Or like, yeah. <laughs> goes off in the middle of the show to make coffee, you know. Yeah. 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 Just get up and go. That's it. Just do it. I think a lot of times the more the more real you are, the better it is. If you try to get too polished, you know, you don't want to you don't ever want to create. You want to reduce the amount of barriers between yourself and people, especially like, I mean, one of the benefits I want to get from the podcast is I want my businesses to do better because people are excited about what I'm talking about, what I'm doing. I'm in business. It's always about reducing barriers. You can't reduce them all. You never will reduce them all. You'll never remove them all, but you need to reduce them. And I think when you when you come across as too polished and too like fancy, you remove yourself from people. You right. know, this is not real. Like, yeah, when you real people are like, I I can relate to that. I see when people can see themselves in you. That's that's when you have their attention. So yeah, it's good advice. Fantastic. Lots of great conversation. And let's close uh, our conversation for today, not but not for but not for, for forever. You can ask me a question of your trust. Oh, why did you start a podcast? I started podcasting because I've always liked people and getting to know new people and theater, theater and entertainment has always been uh, my strongest interest and class I enjoyed the most in school. And then I also worked in the industry. And then I never actually heard of what a podcast was until a year and a half ago. And so the, the, the Tea with Mike show and all this happened by accident because I needed something to do for a college project. And we had a guest speaker who's also been on the show that first said the name Gary Vaynerchuk. So, so all that was, both of those things were like happening at the same time, and at the beginning, and at the beginning of the of, of the of the show when it was going when I, when I was learning and I was exploring, it got a lot of like negative criticism from college instructors and classmates because my classmates thought it was kind of a, like a cop out for the assign the particular assignment that we were doing. And I, and, and I got a few, a few dodgy looks from the instructor who'd been teaching for 20 years with their PhD because it was so like out of the box and obviously not what they learned in, in school, right? You know, <laughs> as your traditional essay or, or whatever. So that's kind of how I started. And then it started off as a social media live. And then I changed that because it was comments scrolling through the whole thing. Started I've, with I've, super dodgy writing. Yeah, I saw one of those, and I was like, "Who? Are, what are these people talking about?" Yeah, so, 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 so that's kind of how I started uh, podcasting, and and then just learning and growing, just like when you were talking about jumping into uh, doing doing your podcast and just going with the flow, with the with the chaos sometimes. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
Awesome. All right, guys, this was another episode of the Tea with Mike show with uh, Jeremiah. Uh, make sure you check this out at teawithmike.com. Thanks again, Jeremiah. Thank you. It's the Tea with Mike show.